If you've never heard of it, Friesland is a province of the Netherlands located in the northernmost part of the country. In the year 1100, a gentleman named Emo von Wittrium did something no one had ever done before. He left his homeland to attend college in a foreign country. And in his case, it was Oxford University in England. Flash forward to 1835, John Diomatari from the island nation of Greece made waves as the first ever known international student to make his way to an American college. That was the University of Georgia. And whether he knew it or not, John paved the way for millions who have come to this country on a journey that many teens and young adults in retrospect describe as transformative. But what about the future? Who is paving the way for a high schooler or undergraduate born and bred perhaps outside of the United States, but yearning to embark on a collegiate odyssey and come to the States? If you are one of them and you are feeling ill at ease, ill prepared for this journey, and you're waiting for everything to be perfect, I've got the guest for you. And our guest today heeds this advice, which I'm gonna ask you to consider in three parts. Number one, what she says to you, you will never be able to learn everything needed to survive after you arrive in the United States. Number two, the preparation you undertake will never be offset by the cultural shocks you are about to face. In fact, it will prepare you. And number three, this is my favorite and near and dear to my heart. Average is that small temptation stopping you from doing what you should. Genius is that little badass stopping you from becoming average. Invoke that badass. Go on and get educated. Our guest today is Sondaria Balasubramani. And while she came to the United States to get more educated, what she achieved in a few years is extraordinary. And if for no other reason, at such a young age, she continues to transform herself from being the student to now becoming the teacher and further igniting a movement she so powerfully writes about in her wonderful book called Admitted. And to continue in her world of endless possibilities, she has launched into online education where she inspires you not to fill your mind, but to empty it, to reach an emotional state in which your head is clear unencumbered and focused. She is wholly dedicated to teach you how to develop a mind like water. While she attended, while she studied chemical engineering in college in India, she did her master's at Columbia University School of Air Engineering, where I so proudly teach. And while working on her day job as a product manager at Salesforce in the Bay Area, she spends, I think, every other waking moment in the service of your success. I am proud to call her my friend, and I am honored that she is joining us today. Sandaria, welcome to A Climb to the Top. Thank you so, so, so much. That was so beautiful, and I cannot tell you how much it means for me to be here. Likewise, it's wonderful. Um, Sandaria, what, where, the, the hardest part about prepping for this episode with you is determining what to leave out because there is so much information that you conveyed in your book called Admitted, which I will say I loved. Now, that book was not written for me. 
I already live here and I'm educated here and I teach here. But when I read the book, I said, this is a different kind of book. What I loved about your book, and I'd like you to paint the scene for us, is your arrival in New York. And even though you may have been all excited, oh my God, I'm going to Columbia, I'm going to New York, you showed vulnerability and you showed an incredible courage by narrating a story that I think is different than other people's expectations of what they think will happen when they come to New York. So before we get into any of this, help us understand what your first experience was when you arrived in this country or you arrived in New York. Absolutely. Um, I have recounted the story and told this many, many times. So it's very vivid in my memory right now. And I've also written about this in my book, actually. And I felt it. Um, <laughs> I had no idea that my first day was going to be the way it was, the way it ended up being. I thought I would reach America and the first day I would sleep in the entire day because I had just finished a 25 to 30 hour long journey across across the world and somehow on the flight I got sick but I think I began getting sick right before I boarded the flight and then it exacerbated during the journey because it was 25 to 30 hours of sitting in one one location and I remember getting off the flight I had two friends with me at that point and we were not going to be living in the same house though so we said our goodbyes at the airport and I had two very heavy luggages filled with clothes and food, a lot of food from India. Um, and I took a cab to get to the address, to get to the home that I had only since then seen in pictures. Um, and I had also not met my roommates. I had met them through WhatsApp in the months preceding when we had a WhatsApp group and we just spontaneously met people on these platforms. And so I went there at about 10 a.m. and I met them for the first time in real life. Um, and they were just leaving the house to spend the entire day in the city, visiting all of the touristy places that one would visit when they go to New York. And I didn't want to say no. I felt this, just a slight peer pressure of, well, I'm here and they're leaving and I should probably go with them. So I had a very quick breakfast of whatever was there at that point. And I was already very fatigued and sick at this point, but I still went, which in hindsight, I think I should not have. Um, and I spent the entire day, not just with them, but also with a group of 15 other people who once again, I'd met for the first time in my life. And being an introvert, it, it's it's just not easy meeting a group of 15 new people in one day and also spending time with all of them. Um, and funnily enough, I had actually spoken to almost all of these people via WhatsApp in the months preceding, but meeting them in person was such um, an anxiety-inducing experience for me. I, I didn't know how to make small talk. I didn't know how to keep the conversation going. And I remember I was standing um, at some pier in New York next to the water, and I was just walking by myself for a while because I was feeling tired and nervous and just didn't know how to mix with the group at that point. So at around 10 p.m., um, we were in Times Square and they were still going and seeing places around New York. But I, I was so exhausted, I just wanted to get home by myself. So I made the decision of taking the subway 
which even today is confusing to me but back then it was it was a labyrinth i had no idea how to navigate it, it still is <laughs> but i took the subway by myself and i went to the wrong destination i went i got dropped off at harlem somewhere at 125th street in harlem and i got out and i had no idea how to get home and it's just a lot of small things happened which became a snowball effect of a bad experience that day um i it was very cold i didn't have a jacket on me i my phone was dead so i didn't i couldn't call people or navigate home so i just knew my address thankfully new york is all grids and blocks so i went in the direction of my house i began running and i do remember tears streaming down my face at that point because i was so scared that someone would mug me since i all i heard about harlem was that it is extremely unsafe and absolutely do not go there at night by yourself as a woman and there you were and there i was um and i remember running 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 getting to my house i think most of the things that i've said so far i'm i'm just recounting the story but the next thing i'm about to say is the one that i remember most vividly i can still feel it uh, i remember getting to the basement where i was living it was in a basement of a small apartment and i just cried for the next 2 to 3 hours i could not stop myself um and thankfully no one else was home at that point so i was just crying so hard badly about how i came to this unfamiliar country being so excited and wanting to meet all these people but i met them and i could not really mingle with them and i i just felt this wave of unfamiliarity and i was missing my home and friends and family back in india intensely in those two hours so that was my first day um now it's a good story <laughs> <laughs> yes yet this was your indoctrination and i think this is where i want to start talking about the book you were a chemical engineering student in india at what point did you set your sights on either coming to america or just studying abroad when and how did that possibility manifest itself yeah so there's i i hear two questions there one is when did you even think of yeah. wanting to study in the us and yeah. secondly how did you go from chemical engineering to masters in management let, let, let's take um, the first one because I think, i think that's thematic yeah. to the book you now had to form in your mind mm. if is my future in india is my future it could have been in the uk or australia walk us through for those who are listening who may be where you were several years ago help us understand what that was like yeah absolutely i was first introduced the, to the idea of even going to the united states thanks to a scholarship that i got in my junior year so third year of college mm -hmm. uh, it's called the sn bose scholarship it's a very reputed scholarship which picks i believe about 40 students from india every year and then um it pays for your airfare they pay for your accommodation and they even give you a stipend on top of all of that and they give you this this bridge that you need to go from your home country into a new country and experience what it feels like to study and uh conduct research there right and so it was a very safe bridge for me because as you can imagine um they took care of everything they they, right. they did a fantastic job all i had to do was 
well, I had to apply and get in. So fortunately, I got in. Um, and summer of 2016, I stepped into the United States for the first time on, I believe, May 19th. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had such a blissful summer. I was at University of Wisconsin-Madison in Wisconsin. And I think I had such a blissful summer in hindsight because even though I was in a new country and not yet acclimated to the new environment and I was facing culture shocks, I still had this bubble of comfort around me because it was not just me. I had nine other scholars. So all 10 of us were living in the same building and apartment um, where we all had our own rooms with all of the amenities that you would need. And we all met each other on a daily basis and we cooked together. So it felt like um, I still had that bubble of comfort around me of people I knew from India and the etiquettes and traditions that we follow in India were still taken and then put in this new country. So I had the best of both worlds. And that was my first introduction to what it would even feel like to be in a different country. Yet you come to New York now in your graduate world, and you're excited, you're admitted to Columbia University, wonderful institution, you're dropped in the middle of New York, and you're crying for three hours. It was a different experience than what you had at the University of Wisconsin, and I appreciate that you put that in your book, because this book was more than just a how to be admitted and what is the process by which. This was a story of your continual series of adjustments to feel at home in what felt like a very strange place. Is that what you were going for in the book? You put it so, so articulately there. Absolutely. I began writing a house. But I really feel like Admitted was a series of Lego blocks that kept adding on almost on a weekly basis. So in the beginning, we imagined building a small shack with a few Lego blocks. But in the end, it just became this skyscraper. But it took nine months of intense effort by not just me, but seven other people as well. Um, But in the beginning, all I wanted to create with my junior side was a short how-to guide, no stories, just a how-to guide telling people, follow these steps. And and Sundaria, were you writing something that otherwise did not exist? Um, in the beginning, I would say no, because there, there were a few guides that you could follow. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I would say that there is absolutely no other book like Admitted that I have found so far, mm-hmm. even right now in the market. And um, because it, as you said it yourself, it's not just a checklist of do this, this, this. It's it's a checklist, but it's almost weaved into this bigger story of what does it really feel like to leave everything you know that is familiar to you and go to a new country? And in hindsight, what are the lessons or mistakes you can avoid that I made during my journey? And also we added more elements onto this by using the virtue of graphic design because I worked with two graphic designers and we added 
I, I'm a huge nerd when it comes to neuroscience, psychology, and history. So I added and, and these that was mental on display models. in the book, and I loved it. It was one of my favorite parts. Beyond, I feel I got to know you better. You made so many references that I thought were excellent adjacencies to the point of this is not just about admission to college. This is a this is a life story that that one of the things that I loved about it, you stated that there was a quote from a scientist that said, change your perspective and you gain 80 IQ points. What you had throughout the book was a varying expertise, say different varying levels of expertise in various areas that supported your thesis of why one would want to leave the states in the first place. Was that conscious that this was an important element to support the book? I, I, I think the very first chapter, if you notice, says, should you even study abroad? Right. Which I thought was critical because most people, the reason they do it, I believe in hindsight, having done it myself and seeing hundreds of people do it, I wanted to almost warn them that, hey, if this is the reason you're doing it, maybe just pause and think one more time. Right. Um, because if, if you're doing it just to earn more money, and I'm not saying that is a, a wrong goal at all. There is no right or wrong here. Right. However, um, you should know that if you're doing it just for the sake of money, you're not thinking about 10, 10 other places where you're, you have an opportunity cost for everything that you're saying yes to. You're saying no to all of these other things. And you might not get what you want if your goal is just making money. Um, so I did want to introduce a few reasons why I've heard people want to study abroad and why th those are not the, the reasons that you should be doing it for if you want to get the best experience out of this. Um, I'm sorry, if that, is that what your question yeah, is? Yeah, let, let's like go I with that because what I there. like about it, it begs the question in the, before we get even to the heart of the book is everyone in your position had to ask and answer a really important question. Why would I leave? And you, say, you stated that very early on and later in the book. Why would I leave my friends and families and the memories? But you stated in the end of the book, there is a place to leave that behind, but you've got to be comfortable with answering the question. So for you, why did you study abroad? What was your why? I think the only way I can answer this is to be completely honest. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, I, I know my why. I don't think that would be my why if I did it again. So, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. the reason I did it was because of it, it was a mix of wanting to just curiosity and gaining more social status. Right. And also, since I experienced what it feels like to be in a new country through the scholarship, I also realized, oh, this is a great learning opportunity. Um, but I also knew that there was a big element of social status there because having grown up in India where I grew up, um, in that kind of society that I grew up in, there was a lot of emphasis placed on outcomes and results and awards and scholarships. Mm -hmm. So. I was extremely focused on that throughout my school and college years. Right. And I, right now I think differently, but truth be told, I was very focused on that um, to the point where it was not healthy. Um, 
however it got me to the us and so even though the reason i came here i don't agree with right now but i understand why i did that i'm just so grateful to my younger self for doing it because it has given me so much more in ways that i could not have even anticipated back then i didn't even have the vocabulary for this and i chose that well in retrospect then for those who are considering coming to columbia or harvard i appreciate there is a status to be gained in addition to the knowledge but your transformations on daria seems to have transcended so to speak that what does yourself today who looks back what's your why today my why today um who is this who is this author i'm trying to recollect i believe it's um shabi williams i'm 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 forgetting the name but a very famous author said this quote uh, in one of his books where he says the goal of your life is to gather experiences mm-hmm. and change perspectives and constantly search for ways you can look at the same thing with a new lens and i believe that's what studying abroad gives you it it gives it gives it to you on a daily basis so since i've come here i had to unlearn so many things that i learned when i was growing up at a very formative age and i'm absolutely loving it it's it's not easy it's not comfortable because it's almost as if you have to unlearn how to tie a shoelace something that you've been told how to do since you were young how do you unlearn that it it's it's so incredibly hard but it's very rewarding because it just expands your mind and the possibilities of what's possible at every moment and so that's 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 the main um gift that i received since i come to the us is to look at the same thing but in 10 different ways not in a very rigid way that i've been taught since i was young and secondly it made me more humble coming here seeing people who were so much smarter than me in certain aspects um i remember i would spend 6 hours on the same math problem that would take a student from france for example 30 minutes and it just makes you more humble because having i was the gold medalist in my undergrad so and i definitely think that it made me complacent and it made me feel in some way that oh i am pretty smart here um but coming to the us it it, it condition it grounded me right. much more than well, i thought it would it sound like well let me let me address one thing give us some examples of those things now that you felt you needed to unlearn i think this is going to be very good advice for any any anyone in india who may be listening to this considering coming what do you recommend they unlearn the first thing i would in fact i had a call with someone who spoke to me recently and she really felt like a younger version of me so it was a very um emotional experience for me to talk to someone like that it was it felt like i was talking to myself and what i told her and that's what i wanted to tell here was there is no one else you need to compare yourself with as you're going through your life and unfortunately we are grown up with exactly the opposite in school in college in every phase of your life because you're constantly being compared against the person next to you in the form of a bell curve you know in the form of grades in the form of who gets because there are limited spots for the scholarship who gets it and who doesn't it's it seems it feels like life is a zero sum game 
when you're in this bubble of constant comparison but since i've graduated i've realized more and more that the only person i should be comparing myself with is just myself yesterday that's all and if i learn something new today which i didn't know yesterday then i'm grateful for that today and it's it's i'm sure the people keep hearing this lesson from other people as well it's it's not a new insight but i do think there is an inflection point when you keep hearing it hearing it hearing it and then you actually start believing it and acting like it there is an inflection point that i've seen in myself happen over the past year well you spoke in the book that one of the things that you felt you needed to do and i'll put it in the way that you expressed it shutting out the voices around you as you learn to say no there's two parts to that what you're describing is shutting out the voices who are telling you their definition of smart. It sounds to me like you have, over the course of these couple of years, figured out and redefined what it means to be smart, even though it is contrary to the conventions by whence you came. Is that a fair conclusion? 100%. I would even add on one more layer to say that it's not even the definition of smart as much as the definition of success right right and and what does it mean to say no who are you saying no or who is yourself 4 years ago or the person you just described who was a younger version of you what knows are they supposed to say um the first the, the first big no the loud no that i remember saying myself was going away from chemical engineering and pursuing management mm-hmm. because up until then i was so sure that i would be doing not just a masters but a doctorate a phd mm-hmm. in energy engineering which is where i spent some time researching in those 3 years mm-hmm. but thankfully i came to the us i got to see other scholars around me and i think that was my first reference point for this is how you're supposed to feel like if you're going to do a, a doctorate degree in something you, you you're supposed to feel this amount of passion for what you're doing and i did not feel that right. i felt passion for other things which were outside a research lab i felt passion for the organizations that i'd built and led in my undergrad i felt much more passion for working with people on these small ideas that then become big later on so anyways it took 4 months to really, really go from thinking about let's do a phd in energy engineering because that's what my profile says i should do versus mm-hmm. no i'm going to do a completely different degree and even if my parents don't agree with it even if the people around me think it's wrong i it's not the right choice even if i myself think that this is a foolish choice i still want to do it because i think i could be extraordinary here and i would just be average here well it was interesting the way i picked it up on the book was almost in those moments of self reflection am i chasing the wrong dream or is there another path that i should now change the way i think about those possibilities cuz that's what it sounds once you had the courage to admit and let's use that word beyond being admitted to columbia university you had to admit to yourself i don't want to go do that thing that other expectations have been heaped on me you don't want to be crushed under the weight of those expectations but now you're the captain 
Now you're deciding what's going to be that mountain. Is that what happened? Yeah, I, I love the word play on the word admit. There's a lot of ways to play this word. <laughs> I know. I, I want to thank, I just want to do a shout out to Sai, who came up with the word admit. It was not even me who termed the book. Yeah. So going back to what you were saying, um, I have vocabulary for the reason why I chose to do management now. It's it's the ikigai. It's the yeah. I'm sure you know about this. But and I do. In anyone... fact, I loved it in the book. Let's describe it. Let's describe the circles and the Japanese concept of reason for being. Absolutely. Um, ikigai is Japanese for roughly speaking, the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning. Yeah. And in fact, it was it was found that Japan or a specific city in Japan had the most centennials, people who lived over 100 years mm. and all of them had this thread in common, which was this ikigai. And essentially ikigai says that there are four circles in your life. There is what you love, what you're good at, what the world needs and what you can get paid for. So the sweet spot that everyone should really hope for is to be in that center of, if can you find something that'll give you all four of them, um, which will then hopefully lead to the state of flow and give you meaning in life. So. Now I realize that if I had pursued a PhD in chemical engineering, I would have gone for what, perhaps what I was good at and what the world needed, but not what I loved. I don't know about what I can get paid for. Um, that's a longer <laughs> question, but it was certainly not what I loved. And um, I guess back then I didn't know about this framework. Right. So it was more of a, an instinctual like gut feeling decision. Well, I have to say, when I bring Ikigai to many of my students, Sundaria, you were, you were my student, but I probably, I don't remember bringing it into your class. But when I do, these either these light bulbs go off saying, oh my God, no one ever bothered to put this in front of me. I never gave this thought. I'm only told to get a 4.0. And if I get a 4.0, that's my path to prosperity. But for me to think about what's my passion, what do I like? What am I good at? What's going to get me paid? What's going to get me paid? People are keyed in on, but they forget the other three things along the way. So thank you for bringing Ikigai into your book. It was beautiful. But there was one other thing that followed Ikigai. I would like you, and I love the way your historical reference of the French of a chef that has to put things in place. So before we get to that, as you were contemplating your transformation, and you were now on your chosen path, not somebody else's. Describe the concept of mise en place, I guess, and I'm speaking in the Spanish terms, miso en place, but in French, putting things in place. What did that mean to you and what had to be put in place? Yes. <laughs> I don't remember how I came across. I believe it's mise en place. Yeah, I'm I think so. I'm so sorry if I'm butchering it to anyone yeah, me who's too. French. Right. Mise en place. Um, Essentially, it means put in place. And it was, I forget the name of the person. Um, maybe you can recollect my memory, but there's, there was this person who used to work in the military in France, right. who then became the head chef at a restaurant. Yeah. And he began to, you know, not surprisingly, bring elements of what he learned at the military inside his restaurant, inside his, his um, kitchen and one of the elements was first to prepare the ingredients of what you're about to cook mm -hmm. and keep them in the most optimized place 
so that when you're cooking you're focused on cooking and not trying to find the ingredients or create them from scratch so this was a very effective strategy that that he introduced which which then spread across to the rest of the globe and right now essentially what it boils down to is just a once again it's a new framework of looking at things you can apply it to anything so i had this thought when i was writing uh, i believe chapter 3 or after chapter 3 chapter 3 is about shortlisting universities so i was thinking well so far i've spoken about should someone even study abroad how to help them make the decision how to help them choose the major and shortlist universities the next step really is to start preparing the application but what would be a great transition to go from this phase of researching and searching to the phase of starting to prepare the ingredients and that's why i thought well this is a very interesting metaphor and i think it'll people will grasp the concept better if i give this metaphor so i told people or my readers to think of their applications as the ingredients that they should think about first preparing before they start hitting that submit button and sending it across to universities right so rather than this tactical thing let's 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 apply to the best brand the highest status the most competitive in the book you began to whittle away at that and and i got the sense that the best place may not be what the rest of the world says is the best university the best place is where you feel the best and that that's that was my takeaway it wasn't the brand consciousness you have to get into columbia or bust it was you presented in, in instead of coming sondaria what i read from the mind you were helping provoke people to think differently about thinking from the heart and while we never want to dismiss the power of the mind the heart wins 90% of the time it, it, it's it's our, the the best school is where you feel the best the best company is where you feel the best that was my greatest takeaway in your book because i i've i've dealt with so many particularly uh different educational conventions about what's important you really helped provoke to your to to the future that you wrote this book for you don't have to succumb to that because everyone else says that's right so let let's get into that who did you write admitted for oh oh that's such a hard question um when you were saying when you were saying it so articulately i just wanted i had this thought in my head that yeah. this is another instance where you're saying no and right. here i don't know who you're saying no to but essentially you are telling no to this tradition that was established that you should look at the top 50 universities in qs rankings or times higher education and then apply to those so um essentially i it's not easy to get people to change their thinking there because i thought that way i chose columbia because it was on the list of some top 20 universities somewhere and so it would be so hypocritical if i didn't acknowledge that first myself right. so i acknowledged that and i told them that i did this however i can say from experience that it's really the way they rank universities that that could that's the problem um when these different ranking sites rank universities they look at a university as a homogeneous entity right. and they do a thorough job of whatever they're trying to do which is look at the number of research papers published 
and the the pedigree of the faculties and the pedigree of students and so on. However, it's done in a very homogeneous way. It's like picking a class of 50 students and saying that this class gets the rank of A, even though the students inside range all the way from A to Z. It's just, there's so much um, in intricate details that gets missed out when you rank that way. So I was trying to at least plant this seed of thought in my reader's head that maybe think about these other things that all equally, if not matter more when it comes right. to your experience. And here are some places where you can actually try to see which university ranks best in these other areas as well. Right. So um, that was what I was trying to do there. But what you were also doing was helping others to resist the impulse to what the, what the conventions and the masses are telling you and to think for yourself. The, the, that was an important message in the book. Yeah, I, I feel like that, that message you just said is almost there is an undercurrent of that in every part of the book, which is to right. think for yourself. Right. It's okay to say no. Right. And, and really, no one else is going to be living your life. Right. Especially, um, and I mean, I do think I have to say this, in India is such a nucleus family. India is filled with nucleus families. Right. And so you are heavily influenced by your immediate family and right. relatives. I was too, and I still am. Um, so it's important to note that while they have the best intention in mind for you, mm -hmm. they are not living your life and they're right. not in your shoes. So what was right or what made sense to them maybe 30 years ago does not make sense right now. Right. And I think that's much more common in India than a, perhaps a country like America, which I've seen to be much more individualistic. Yes, and, and that's a fair conclusion, Sundaria. But what I have found in particularly the Asian model is many students crushed under the weight of familial expectations. And you can be whatever you want to be as long as it's a doctor or a lawyer. It's as if you, you're not even, some don't even have the freedom to decide what they want to do for a living. You became an engineer, which I suspect was met with great enthusiasm but you also decided to take a different path. So let, let's change focus here. First, to, to anyone listening or watching, if you are in the position and you are in a, living in a foreign country and considering coming to the United States, I read the book from the point of view, and I'm a born and bred American, educated here, I read it. But as I read the book, even though the book wasn't written for me, I couldn't put it down because I hadn't read a book, not just the, 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 the content, but the style in which it conveyed helps you to muster the courage to be able to make your decision what is right for you and not necessarily what the rest of the world may be advising. And I think that takes a lot of courage to do it. But Sundaria, now your book is out and we're going to conclude in a few minutes with where to get the book. But you have done an incredibly wonderful next step that goes beyond writing what it was a wonderful book to be able to bring a different kind of work to the masses in a different way. And you borrow the concept of what I tend to think about in martial arts, where you think about flow and freedom in water. And when you pour water into a cup, you become the cup. When you pour water into a bottle, the bottle takes the, the water takes the shape of the bottle. Mm -hmm. It goes with what it has been presented and then shows the world in a form that it may not have even tried, but just so naturally became. 
Talk to our listeners about the concept of a mind like water, what it means to you, and practically what your next evolution involves. Thank you, Chuck. Um, I wow, you are so articulate in everything you say. <laughs> I <laughs> I loved your book, so I, I there's no other you. way to put it. It means so much to me that someone who it was not even aimed for read the book right. and could take away something from it. Thank you. Indeed. Um, uh, the course. So the course is really what's consuming me right now. Right. Not surprisingly. Yeah. And the term mind like water, as you said it yourself, it comes from martial arts, but it was used in getting things done by David Allen, right. a very famous book yeah. on project management and personal project management. Yeah. Uh, and this went very viral back in 2001 when David published this book and people started using this methodology and framework to get things done in their lives. So David describes mind like water as a state in which your mind is unencumbered by distractions and you can focus on what is right in front of you, that you have a clear state of mind, really. Um, the once again, just like with the book, I thought with the course, I wanted to help people build a second brain using digital tools. Back let, in December, let's first establish yes. then what you have done is created an online learning platform. Is, yes, that, a, exactly. is that a fair, fair way to express that? Yes. Um, Mind Like Water is a four week long online cohort based course. Right. So cohort-based course, meaning people would be learning with other people at the same time in live classes. So throughout the four weeks, I'm having two live classes every week, and they will be in a community where they can talk to each other outside their live classes and talk to me, and they can book office hours with me and get feedback directly. So it's an extremely interactive, hands-on, personalized experience of learning from anywhere in the world. But what is it about, and I, I certainly appreciate uh, the, the concept, what are you yeah. drawing people in and what can they expect to learn? Exactly. Um, so I thought when I wrote the footprints of this idea back in December, 2020, mm -hmm. I wanted to create a course that would help people build a second brain in using digital tools. And I know that sounds very vague, so I will describe. Yeah. Um, but at least that's the idea that I had back then. As things happen, as I learned more over the past six, seven months, now I would say that when someone walks in, let's say that Chuck, for example, you come and take the course and the people taking this course are people who are working on a lot of great things in life, but they feel like their life is just chaotic, that they're not able to, they, they don't feel like they have control of their time. Um, and they feel like all the things that's pulling at them from 10 different directions, that is controlling them as opposed to them being intentional of how they want to spend their time. Um, but they all want to do great things. It's just they need some help to bring some order into all this chaos. Right. So my goal is when they walk in and then they walk out of the course, when they walk out, number one, their mind is clear. They don't have anything in their mind anymore. They don't have... They, they don't think about, oh, I have to get this done today. I have to get this done before two weeks. It's all out there in a very trusted system. So their mind is used for what it does best, which is creativity, critical thinking, problem solving. Second, 
all of their goals that they want to achieve in their lives is once again out there in a trusted system. And it's not just offloading what you want to do into a system. I'm also helping people reach balance in all areas in their life. There is something called the life wheel, uh, which has about eight to 10 quadrants. So it's not just all fire and action where you focus on building a course and building, a, you know, publishing a book, but you also focus on other aspects of your life, like taking care of yourself, journaling, meditating, forming, nurturing relationships with people. So that's my second goal is to help people achieve more balance than they had when they walked into the course. And finally, the course would be completely on Notion, which is a, an all-in-one productivity tool that's become very popular now. So when they leave, they will have an extremely robust personalized workflow in Notion that they can use to plan their weeks and months, years into the future. And I've been experimenting with Notion for two years and I've spent over 150 hours simply experimenting with ideas on how to make this workflow better. So I just want to teach everything that I know through this course. Yeah. When you look back and you contemplate what was the origin of your journey to the United States to study at Columbia, did you envision a book and an online learning platform? <laughs> I envisioned becoming a consultant and working at McKinsey, BCG, or Bain at that point. That would have so, made a lot of people very happy. <laughs> true. Maybe not me, but other people. No, maybe not you. <laughs> But what did you care? Now you do. You're seeing the world through a different lens. What you wrote was not only personal, Sundaria, you wrote something in the service of so many other people's happiness and success. And I thank you for that. Thank you. It means so much to me, especially coming from you, a mentor oh, of mine. Thank I you. I appreciate that. And, and, and now you shifted gears and you found another medium by which you're now becoming the teacher. And you're using the technology that is an enabler that allows you to bring in others. And here we are again, you're creating an online platform in the service of someone else's success. So Daria, there's no higher calling. Is, is this what you thought about a few years ago? Not at all. Not, and I'm, as you said, um, Every day, the past few weeks, I have been building the course and I go to sleep filled with ideas in my head and the feeling is unparalleled. Just knowing that all of these ideas, which were mere thoughts, are out there into the world right now and it's hopefully going to positively affect someone's life and it's a ripple effect. So um, I, I had no idea that I would be creating these a few years ago right. and I have no idea what I'll be doing a few years from now, <laughs> but... I, a beautiful I thing. Know. I'm happy. <laughs> well, there's two questions left. One of them is internal and one of them is external. This may be a more challenging answer, but we, we don't have an endless amount of time. What, Sundaria, have you learned about yourself through this mountain climb that you have been on for these last few years? About myself. About what yourself. About myself. Because you're in a very different place than you probably thought three or four years ago. Um, I have learned that I have increasingly become my biggest champion over the years. Mm -hmm. Right now, I talk to myself the way I would talk to my best friend. Um, and I have also continued learning that, once again, no one else 
sets the timeline for me except for myself that no one else is walking my sh- in my shoes there is no one else to compare to and um that i i've just learned to look at things from the lens of gratitude and optimism more and more i'm not saying i do it every moment of the day but definitely much more than before i right, now let's shift the focus to our listeners and thank you as always for tuning in it's great to have everyone here now let's speak to them. This is your opportunity to answer what is a very three-part, very cool three-part question that we love in this yeah. show. What do you want the listeners? There is a Sundaria out there, not you. There is a 17-year-old in Kerala or in Mumbai or wherever they may be that is contemplating an odyssey of which you have led them. What do you want them to think? What do you want them to feel about these possibilities? And what do you want them to do? Um. I simply want them to spend 5 minutes after listening to this podcast mm-hmm. thinking through what they heard and asking themselves if there's if there's anything any new lens I gave them that they can look at something with and if so look at it with that lens and see what that feels like what I want them to feel um I guess I can't really control that but I hope they they feel like they they don't have to carry the burden of other people's expectations on them Beautiful. that you set your own timeline so even if you feel like you're behind you're actually not mm-hmm. and finally what i want them to do well i my vision is to see everyone who wants to study abroad read admitted and right. and and also anyone who purchases the book becomes part of a slack community right. through the virtue of a link inside the book so it's not just about them reading but also becoming this part of a community of other readers and ha- talking to me directly so if anyone listening to this or knows someone who's interested who's thinking of studying abroad mm-hmm. um i would just say go and read you know check out the book on amazon it's on amazon google play kindle and it's also going to be on holiday and digital publishing platform in the us soon um and you don't even have to buy it you can actually just look at the reviews of what other people have said about it mm-hmm. and just decide for yourself um that you would be investing in yourself by purchasing this book and you should feel confident in doing that uh, and reach out to me on linkedin instagram via email i'm on all of these social media platforms if you have any questions yeah and is there a preferred just so just to narrow the choices for some that wants yeah. to get in contact with you directly what's the best way to do it the best way to do it would be to go to linkedin mm-hmm. send me a connect request and add a note in the connect request saying that hey i listened to the podcast and have a few questions okay um sondaria i wish we had more time but for the time that we have here to be able to bring admitted and mind like water to life i hope i have lived up to your expectations and our capacity to bring this to our audience but i also want to state what an incredible honor it is to have you here uh, you're my first student who has come on to a climb to the top and you are my friend and i value that immensely and i love what you're doing in watching and hopefully being able to contribute in my own way that i can to your transformation as you strive to continue to help me in mine and that's what this is about that's what i felt in admitted that none of us are alone 
that we are all each other's teachers, and that if we give generously to others, the karma is going to give it right back to us. And that's why I love the book, because this was not a book about checklists. This is a book about building a community that actually cares about each other and looks out for each other. And for that, I, I, I can't think of a better way to end the show. Oh, Chuck, um, you were one of the best things that the best gifts I got from Columbia, meeting oh, you, you, having lunch with you, which is a story for another day. But... <laughs> yeah, that, that was a fun story. <laughs> I'm still laughing about that. We owe each other an Italian. Uh... <laughs> I know, Bettelona. Um, but I just wanted to say to the audience here that um, I have done many interviews in the past, but this is one of those rare occasions where I feel like I feel like you get me more than I get myself. The way you ask me the questions and the way you were so thorough in reading the book, even though you didn't have to, it just, it shows why you have the X factor that, that. most thank people you. don't. Well, so go out you. and read Admitted. It was a wonderful book. Um, help you to understand the power of developing the mind like water. Have Sondaria be your guide along that. But you have listened to a climb to the top stories of transformation. We are available on YouTube, on C-Suite Radio, on Apple, Spotify, on my website. You can go to chuckgarcia.com. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. That's my ask for you for the call to action. You can always reach me on my website at chuckgarcia.com or on LinkedIn, but we are on all the social media platforms. It's been wonderful working and collaborating with Sondaria, which I so immensely enjoy. But to our listeners and to our viewers, thank you as always for coming in each week. We strive to exceed your expectations and we love hearing from you. So Sundaria, I am putting my hands together and bowing to the divine in you. My only regret is we are not in the same studio together, but what the heck, this Zoom thing is pretty good. So we'll yeah. take it. So keep up the wonderful work. I wish you the very best in mind like water, but also in the continued evolution of Admitted. And while I don't know what your next couple years are going to bring, God, I am glad I'm going to be a part of it in some way. So keep doing what you're doing. This has just been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to anyone who is listening. And to ours. Good. Good. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.